turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we are going to park in the Sermon on the Mount for a long time. And I actually uh, want to start out this week. Uh, we're going to lay the foundation and talk about it. just a few things that um, I would encourage you. Uh, if you write in your Bible, write up near the top on the page where the Sermon on the Mount is at. Uh, or write in your notes, uh, however you would like to do it. But uh, this week I'm going to give you... Uh, Four Greek words uh, that are, I don't like to delve too much into language because I don't want to pretend like I know a whole bunch of Greek, I don't, but um, I've studied enough uh, and studied enough in the context of the Sermon on the Mount to know that there are four important words in here that we need to concentrate on and understand the meaning of because it's, it's not quite uh, what we would think of sort of colloquially or, or uh, the, the, the words don't mean quite what we, the, the, what we would uh, what we would say in like a normal conversational setting. Uh, and if we're going to fully understand the Sermon on the Mount, it's important that we understand the, these four concepts. Uh, and then I'm going to give you three big ideas that are, in, that are contained in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest uh, discourse that we have that Jesus gave. It's the longest recorded speech uh, of Christ. Uh, and that makes it, in some, that makes it uh, almost automatically the most important. Uh, it, getting some feedback there, Richard? Is it okay? Okay. Um, it, it is, uh, it, in terms of Matthew, uh, it's, it sets the stage for everything that Jesus teaches throughout Matthew, and we're going to talk a little bit about that later, but it is, uh, it's just a pivotal moment in his, in his ministry, a place where he talks about what the kingdom of heaven, his vision uh, for the Christian life looks like. Uh, and it's, it's extremely challenging. Uh, there comes a point when you're reading it uh, again and again and again that you realize he really means it. Uh, and if you don't get a little bit scared, uh, something is wrong with you. You're not understanding it. So I want to first make a, a quick note as we go through these four Greek words about uh, the issue of translation. Um, we in our minds sometimes have the idea that the art of translation or the act of translation is like a code, right? Like the, there's a word in Greek and we have to figure out the right word, the, the word in English that means exactly that thing in Greek and that's what we'll use. And it seems very easy to us. Um, but for those of you who are maybe bilingual or, or know some other languages, uh, even a little bit, you know that that's not... It's not quite so easy, right? It's not, because uh, there's a whole uh, kind of network of connections with each word uh, that even in the same language can create confusion. And I've got a couple of illustrations here that are kind of stupid jokes. Um, I don't know, uh, Richard, can you maybe show picture one? So the therapist says, your wife says you never buy her flowers. Is that true? And the husband says, well, to be honest, I never knew she sold flowers. Right, right. That, that's, it's, that's super stupid, um, but it's, right, there's ambiguity in the language, right? And then there's another one. Uh, it, he has a can of wasp killer, and he says, is this good for wasps? And she's like, she says, no, it kills them, right? And what he means, right, like there the ambiguity is, well, what does good mean? Um, the Sermon on the Mount, maybe more than any other passage in the Bible, all, all passages in the Bible have this issue, right? Like where it's, you're trying to figure out what the right word is to connect to a, a Greek word 
that had all its own sort of cultural connections and a whole, um, a whole webwork or network of, of ideas connected to it. Um, and you're trying to, to render that into English. Uh, and our translators in the King James, they were doing that 400 years ago, right? So we're also trying to figure out what the words meant at the time that they were alive, right? That they were translating from. And it becomes very difficult in some ways. Um, so let's go to word number one, uh, which is makarios. Uh, that's, that's what it looks like in Greek, and that's, that's it transliterated, makarios. It means blessed, or that's how it gets translated in the King James Bible, blessed. Can you show the, the Venn diagram that I did there? So this is just an illustration of the concept that I talked about a moment ago. Um, when something is, uh, like blessed means something to us, and makarios means, it means, meant something to the Greeks, and when you translate Makarios into blessed, it, it's right, right? It connects in the middle. But there's a whole group of concepts that go with blessed that don't necessarily go with Makarios and vice versa. In, in fact, uh, so I, I, I looked up uh, how Makarios is translated in some other instances where it's found in the Bible and then in some other translations that are used. Uh, it is occasionally translated God blesses. Uh, happy are those, so happy are the poor, right, is, is how somebody who was translating it that way would translate the first beatitude. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, flourishing is the one who, that's Jonathan Pennington, uh, who I took some courses from. And then the Amplified Bible says, spiritually calm with life, joy, and God's favor is, that's the long one, right? Um, it, can you go to the, the, I drew a stupid illustration. There you go. This is, I did this myself. I'm very proud of it. Um, it the difference I want to draw out here, right, is a blessing comes from me to you or from one actor to another. If I say, uh, Dominic, uh, I, I want to be a blessing to you, um, or you are blessed, uh, th there might be some expectation that I'm, I'm giving him money, like in the, I'm throwing dollar signs at him or giving him something, right? There is some blessing that he is receiving from some source as a result of it. And with Makarios, uh, it gets translated sometimes as congratulations or that one is flourishing, that one is living well, that one's happy. That guy over there, he's living right, right? And it's so his life is filled with blessings, or he's happy. We don't know why. It's just, it comes from the clouds or whatever. And I'm observing him, and I'm saying to others, that guy's blessed. He's living the good life. So I want you to keep that in your mind as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. It, um, it, one of the underappreciated parts of Christ's teaching, uh, as, as we go through this, you're going to see he's very funny. Very funny. Um, as a as a you know, I, I've spoken in front of this church probably, I don't know, a thousand times over the course of my life. Uh, most of you who've heard me more than 10 or 15 times, you know I have, uh, you know, basically the, the, the rhythm of the way I speak. You know uh, I, have, I have certain jokes I tell all the time. I have certain stories that I return to again and again. Um, if you grew up in this church with Pastor Denoff, you knew at some point you were going to get the story about the Easter suit and how it was uncomfortable, right? You just... 
Everybody's got a shtick if they speak in public. They've got some patter that they do all the time. And Jesus was no different, right? You don't draw hundreds and thousands of people to come see you, especially in the ancient world, without being a good speaker. And a good speaker is almost always kind of funny. Um, so imagine the first beatitude, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, in the, in the kingdom of, uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As congratulations to the poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And it becomes kind of funny, right? And uh, it, he's going through and listing all these kind of sad sack traits and saying, congratulations, or happy are people who are mourning and sad. And if you're in the audience, you, you might be like, is, what is with this guy, right? And slowly throughout the course of the Sermon on the Mount, he unfolds the idea that he is serious, right? It starts out funny. And there are other, par- other, parts of the, um, other parts of the Sermon on the Mount where we'll talk about the humor of it and the way that he engages the audience. Uh, it's important to remember that this is a performance. It's not just a, uh, we have it as kind of a flat speech that's been translated from one language to another. It's scripture to us, but to somebody, they were sitting in an audience listening to this. They were engaged with it. He was performing. When he says, uh, take, the, take the, the, the stick out of your own eye um, before you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye, he was probably holding a log and holding it up to his eye, right, to illustrate. Um, so Jesus was immensely funny. Let's go to word number two, which is teleos. Uh, and teleos mean I have a video that demonstrates teleos, but I, before you play it, Richard, um, this gets translated perfect. Perfect. Um, and when we read it, right, in our world, perfect means something like moral perfection. Like, he didn't do anything wrong ever. He was perfect. Right? And, and it does have that sense, or it can have that sense in Greek. But what teleos actually means is whole. It means the same on the inside as it is on the outside. Uh, It means, that's what perfect means. It means if you cut it open, it's what you expect. Uh, Go ahead and play that video, Richard. So uh, my daughter used to disturb um, uh, my wife with this, uh, these videos that uh, Richard's going to show you just a short clip of. Um, But these people make these super elaborate cakes that look like real objects, um, and I don't, maybe Richard can't play it, I don't know. Oh, so, right, and they cut it, and it's a cake on the inside, right? And I don't know why, but uh, Deanna finds this vaguely disturbing, like she's like, ooh, that's weird. Um, and, and, you know, you, you can stop it probably, Richard. Um, the steak is grossing me out. But um, it, uh, the, the and also, uh, I also have a picture that illustrates this in a more graphic way. Yeah, see? So it, it looks good on the outside, but you cut it open and you look and it's rotten. Right? Je- Jesus actually engaged this quite a bit. This idea is a, a core theme of what Jesus teaches in Matthew. Uh, recall that when uh, he confronts the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he says, you're like whited sepulchers. You're like... You're like uh, mausoleums that had been painted white. Outside, you look attractive, but inside, you're filled with dead men's bones, right? Like, that you're not the same on the inside as the face that you present to the world. 
And that's a problem. That's a big problem in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, word three is, these are, I cheated, this is more than one word, but it's basileia ton aranon, uh, the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about this last week. I talk about it almost every time I teach. Because uh, to me, it's the organizing principle of the whole Bible, uh, or the whole New Testament. The idea that, that um, so uh, Jonathan Pennington, he's a scholar, he wrote uh, uh, Heaven and Earth in the Gospel of Matthew. And in that book, uh, his explanation for Christ, for the Christ event, is that um, Christ came to tell us, right, about something that was going to happen at the end of time, right? That uh, there is an end state that the prophets predicted, and they said justice would roll down like water, and every sad thing would come untrue, and people would live in harmony and peace with each other, and uh, in the presence of God for eternity. And then, but, and so Jesus' rhetorical move is he describes that kingdom, and then he says, it's here right now amongst you. Think of the passage in Luke where, where Jesus opens up his public ministry, right? He, uh, the, the, he's in his hometown, and the people hand him the Torah scroll, and they say, can you teach? And he's like, sure. And he sits in the rabbi's seat, and he opens it up, and he says, uh, I come to you to, uh, and he's just reading from, from the scroll, right, from Isaiah, and he says, uh, I come to you to bring healing to the, or uh, sight to the blind and healing to the lame and, you know, goes on and on about all these things that uh, in Isaiah's view were going to happen at the end of time. And then he, he shuts the scroll and he says, today, all of this is fulfilled in your hearing, right? I, I am here. I am initiating the kingdom of heaven right now. Uh, and I, I will talk about this at length as we go through the, the Sermon on the Mount, but that means you as a believer are an agent of the kingdom of heaven. You are subject to the kingdom of heaven. Um, Jesus, uh, he invaded from the future and he made you one of his, one of his warriors, right? Your, your job as you go through life, is to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. It's a huge responsibility, and it's, it's the organizing principle of Matthew and a core theme uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and then number four is cardia. Cardia actually means heart, right? It's where we get the words like cardiac arrest and so forth. Uh, for the Greeks, the cardia or the heart, um, like we, we think of our thoughts as being in our brains, and our feelings as being in our hearts. Uh, for them, your whole being, like everything you've thought and felt, uh, persisted, it came from your heart. That it's like the core of your inner being and who you really are. And what I'm gonna argue for as we go through the next few weeks is that um, the Sermon on the Mount teaches a heart-centric view of the Christian life. It says, be the same on the inside as you are on the outside, and let your outside be as perfect as you can make it. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Um, so those are, those are your four Greek words. Um, I promise there won't be too much Greek uh, in the, the weeks to come, but I think those concepts are very important as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, trying to understand it. Um, and then I've got three big concepts, uh, can you, or themes. So theme one, oh, 
Theme one is fulfillment. The, the gospel of Matthew is about fulfillment. I, I cannot, I could probably go through and count, but I can't remember the number of times when Matthew writes, the X happened, he describes some events, and he says X happened so that Y could be fulfilled, right? He'll say, um, this, Jesus did this so that the words of Isaiah or the words of Hosea or the words of the prophet might be fulfilled. The idea that Jesus is uh, coming to earth and ticking through the prophecies one by one to accomplish them um, and, and prove out what the Old Testament says is, is a core theme of Matthew. You often hear in, uh, like when people talk about Matthew, that it was aimed at, at Jewish people. And that's probably true. It, um, uh, one, one it, it, it doesn't pause to describe things like Passover. If you read uh, Luke or John, oftentimes when they say it was Passover at that time, they'll stop and say, and Passover is, and describe it, because the audience that's receiving the, the, their gospel is not Jewish. Matthew doesn't bother. He, he's writing to Jewish people. Um, and, and that core theme of fulfillment is all about meeting and showing uh, to Jewish people uh, at that time that, no, J- Jesus is Messiah. Jesus came to fulfill every part of the Old Testament. Theme two is heaven meets earth. And I, I talked a bit about this at length a few minutes ago, so I won't belabor it too much. Um, it is, um, as I said, about the idea that heaven is coming to earth in the form of Jesus. Um, the kingdom has already arrived, and it's our job uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ and, and followers uh, of the king to make sure that his kingdom kind of comes into being here on earth uh, until he returns. Uh, like, that's, that's what we have to do. And this idea of heaven touching earth is... Uh, as I said, it's all through Matthew and it's core, again, to, to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and then I, I want to explain one really complicated concept here at the end. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is, is about giving you the wisdom to live a virtuous life. And I have two stupid pictures that I drew that I think will help. Um, here's the first one. Uh, and the word that got cut off over on the end there is, a, 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 you don't need to know it, but it's deontology. Um, it's a, like a philosophical term. It's, the idea is, what is virtuous? Um, well, what is virtuous, oh, thank you, Richard. What is virtuous is uh, when you follow the rules, right? That it, you have a duty to do the right thing, and the right thing is defined by the rules, um, so th- this is a, th- there's a rule that you don't smoke and you don't chew and you don't hang out with girls that do. Um, and this guy, r- right, he's, he's going to follow the rules because he looked at the signs and there's a rule that says you don't do those things. The next guy, or the, the, the next uh, slide, is virtue ethics. Uh, and this says that you have to become, right, virtue doesn't lie in following a bunch of rules. It it comes from becoming the kind of person who wants to do the right thing, right? So in this, we've got the son teaching, or the father teaching the son, son, take care of your body, right? That, that's the lesson or the principle that lies behind what the rule is on the previous slide. Take care of your body, right? Don't, don't get, uh, I don't know, Chew gives you like what, mouth cancer? Don't get mouth cancer. 
Don't get lung cancer. Take care of your body. Work hard. Right? So, so then when he, 20 years later, uh, when he passes the smoke and chew signs, right, they're available, but he says, now I'm good. I'm, I'm living a virtuous life. Uh, I'm taking care of my body. Um, this is a real dumb illustration, I know. Um, but the point here is that what Jesus, uh, I, I, we're going to get deep, deep into this in a few weeks. Um, because we're going to get to the passage where Jesus says, I didn't come to get rid of the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. I came to accomplish them. And you go back and you look at the Leviticus and Deuteronomy and you see all these rules, right, about what you can eat and can't eat, what you can wear and can't wear, what you, um, uh, you know, like where you can plant your fields, uh, that you have to build a parapet around your roof, you know, all, all these things. And it's, it's so easy as a modern Christian when you're reading that stuff to say, how on earth does this apply to me? What? Like, I don't, ha- I don't have a, a roof that I can walk out on, so why do I need a parapet on it uh, or a, a border or a fence? I don't, I don't keep animals, so a lot of this doesn't apply to me anyway. Uh, I don't wear mixed clothing. I just wear polyester or whatever, right? Um, so uh, it, the Sermon on the Mount, I, I, you know, I've I, said earlier it was a pivotal document. It, it's almost the pivotal document in understanding how we get from the Old Testament law, which is, is duty-based, right? It's, it's an explanation of what you have to do. It doesn't say uh, you should put a parapet around your roof because that's... Ver- you should be- it doesn't try to make you the kind of person who puts a, a parapet around their roof. It tells you to do it. It doesn't try to make you the kind of person who doesn't wear mixed clothing. It tells you not to do it. It doesn't try to make you the kind of person who doesn't eat pork. It says don't eat pork, right? It's, it's a, a duty-based system of rules. Uh, now, in reality, the, the children of Israel never thought of it that way. They thought of it this way. Um, but that's not apparent from the text. And so what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount, he's taking that, that duty-based view of the law and he's transforming it into this, right? He's explaining what's behind the law. This is, um, Paul picks up on this in Romans. Uh, he writes, he's writing about the law and whether we have to follow it. And he says, the law was our schoolmaster, right? The law taught us what God wanted. And what God wants ultimately is, is the kind of people who treat uh, what's, What's Jesus say? Love, love yourself, or love your neighbor, love God. Boom, this guy's got it. Love your neighbor as yourself, love God. Um, right? And he says, on, on this, all of the law and the prophets hang. That's exactly what he meant. Right? He is, look, you don't have to follow these specific rules. Look, look at what's behind them. Look at what's behind them. Understand that you're to, pe- to treat other people as the image of God and act as an emissary of heaven, and then do that. Um, it's, it's more complicated, right? It's harder. It's harder to be the kind of person who is a subject of the kingdom of heaven than it is to follow a list of rules, right? It'd almost be easier to, can, God, can you just tell me? 
Like, uh, I could download it on my iPad. I could walk around. I could make sure I don't do those things. But that, that was never the point of the law. The law was a schoolmaster. It was designed to teach us what God wants and how to become the kind of person, right, as described by Jesus, who serves the kingdom of heaven. Um, sorry, just one more. So um, we're going to read the Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing, here in a moment. Um, and I, I actually uh, believe that we should, we're going to conclude each session of this, uh, this ongoing series by reading the whole sermon. Uh, perhaps in a different translation occasionally, uh, but I think it's important to read God's Word, uh, and I also think it's very important for us to, to read the whole thing in context. Uh, it's, uh, too often we take some small chunk uh, of the Bible and then just read that chunk and then study it, and I want to avoid that error. I want to, I want to have the whole thing in context. So th- three takeaways, I think three, maybe two. To, yeah, no, there are just two. Um, there's just two. Uh, read the sermon for what it is. Uh, and what it is is a collection of sayings by Jesus that were uh, recorded by Matthew, right? This is everything Matthew remembers that Jesus said on the mountain. Um, it's, Jesus probably gave this same sermon or parts of it a thousand times. You know, know, maybe thousands of of, of times, maybe multiple thousands of times during his lifetime. This is the core of his message. So he, when he would go to a place, he would speak, and he would often, like we we even have an instance where that happened in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, The Sermon on the Plain is uh, has a lot of shared material with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and it is different in some interesting ways. Uh, but so this is a collection of sayings, and this is very common in the ancient world for somebody who is a disciple of a teacher to sit down, uh, or for the teacher themselves to sit down and write a list of sayings or a list of things that um, a list of things that they're teaching. Uh, understand that Matthew probably heard this; uh, he was probably with Jesus when Jesus taught it thousands of times. So he took the material and he's arranged it carefully so that we can, we can read it now in the future and understand it. Uh, and there's a point to it, right? There's a structure uh, that we'll talk about as we uh, work our way through it. Uh, and then I want you to concentrate on how the sermon teaches us. Oh, and also would take away one there, read the sermon for what it is. Understand, I made this point earlier, but understand that it's a performance. It's a recorded performance. And we, we should think about how Jesus performed it as we're doing it. That will help us uh, to let the text live and breathe uh, as we're reading it. Uh, And then two, uh, concentrate on how the sermon teaches us to flourish by living a virtuous life. Uh, It's, it's, um, I wish I had drawn this one, it would have been easy, but we often think of the Christian life as um, binary, right? There are two outcomes, right? You're, You're in the kingdom of heaven or you're not in the kingdom, or you're not in the kingdom of heaven or you're in the kingdom of heaven, right? There's an axis. And the Sermon on the Mount has a, a lot of uh, references or a lot of explanation of how you're in or how you're out. It, it does. But also, there's another axis that goes right through it, right? You're not virtuous and you're virtuous, right? You, you're, a subject of, you're not a subject of the kingdom of heaven and you are. Uh, and they're related to one another, but they're not identical. Um, and what I will say is, I'm, I, I think in our 
uh, modern American evangelical culture, often we concentrate on this axis, right? Are you saved or are you not saved? That's often the question. But very rarely do we talk about this axis. Are you virtuous or are you not? Are you the kind of person who brings the, the kingdom of heaven into the world or are you not? And, and if you say you're, you're on this part of the axis, you're saved, but I never see you acting as an emissary of the kingdom of heaven, I got to wonder, right? Um, and so that's, it's about uh, building your life uh, as a subject of the kingdom of heaven, as a virtuous person. And we'll talk a lot about that in the weeks to come. Uh, so that, with that, I'm going to go ahead and read the entire Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters, and it takes about six minutes to read. And I'll, I'll be very tempted to stop, so I may pause occasionally, but I'm not going to stop and explain it. I'm just going to read it. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its, have lost its his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all shall be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall, come, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, 
Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committed, committeth adultery. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt, but shalt perform all unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not, not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy, right, thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking." Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of, before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly neither will your Father forgive their trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven, or treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, uh, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall, uh, shall, take, uh, shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your, your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be open. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, shall he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye, unto the, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets." Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. 
Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So we're a few minutes over. I apologize. Uh, I felt that it was important for us to read the whole thing. Um, It's powerful when you read it all together, isn't it? Um, I'm always struck by the ending, right? Um, When the people who are hearing him are astonished and they say, He doesn't speak like the Pharisees. He speaks with authority and power. Uh, He he makes sense. Uh, And it's it's because the Pharisees are living. They're living in a world of duty and law. And Jesus is living in a world of virtue, right? Where you become the kind of person who lives in the kingdom of heaven.